0: So, 250 million Americans profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. 250 million Americans profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, yet on any given Sunday, 63 million go to church. You know what that's called? A discrepancy. 250 million people say that they are followers of Jesus, yet, 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 yet only 63 million are going to church. That's a discrepancy of 187 million people. That means that there's 187 million people in our nation that profess to be followers of Jesus, but never involve themselves in the church, Jesus' bride, whom he laid down his life for, Ephesians 5, because he loved. Does that sink in a little bit? 187 million people saying that they're following Jesus, yet they want nothing to do with his bride whom he loved and gave himself up for, Ephesians 5. Now, I don't know about you, but numbers like that cause... Um, Me to ask questions and they raise questions in in my in my head and in my heart and in my spirit. And here's the question that I've grappled with over the last month as we've prepared this Easter message. And and the question is this, and it's just pretty simple. Is it possible that all these people are really followers of Jesus? Or are they just fans of his work? Are they followers of Jesus or are they just fans of his work? And so this morning I just want to show you four things and we'll get out of here. And here's the first. The first thing I want you to understand, guys, is that according to the Bible, Jesus had a lot of fans. I mean, Jesus had a lot of fans. Look at these passages up here. Matthew 9, uh, 35 through 38, 14, 13 through 21, uh, chapter 21, Mark 10, uh, through 46, uh, 46 through 52. They all mention the crowds that followed Jesus. So let's look at them together, okay? First, Matthew 9, uh, 35 and 36 says, Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing. Get this. Every disease and sickness. And it says this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Matthew 14. Now, Matthew 14, John the Baptist has just been beheaded. Okay, that's that's a, that's a cousin of, of Christ. The cousin of Christ has just been beheaded. Jesus is a little distraught. He withdraws to kind of get away from it. And when he lands, there's crowds. And, and this is what it says. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and get this despite how he felt, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. You say, well, how big was the crowd? It tells us, verse 21 of of Matthew 14. It says, the number of those who ate, remember this is the feeding of the 5,000, the little boy, Andrew finds him, says, Jesus, I don't know what to do with this guy. There's five loaves and two fish. You're you're Jesus, so you figure it out. And Jesus says, no problem. Tell him to sit down and I'm going to pray over And he starts dividing it up. And and it says, he feeds 5,000 men, get this, besides women and children. Now I'm not great at math, but if there was one one woman and one child for every man, that's 15,000 people, not 5,000 people, right? Okay? Now, now I'm assuming there's more than that because it always seems like there's more in my household. Than they, I'm always outnumbered. I don't know about you men, but I'm always outnumbered. It does not matter. The dog even counts against my vote. I don't know how that worked. Like, the dog's not going out to eat. She doesn't get a vote. You lost. Okay. So so let's just say there's more. There could have been 20,000, 25,000. We don't know, but we know that the crowd was massive. The crowd was massive, right? Let's look at this. Mark uh, Mark chapter 10. I love this story. Now, this is a story of a a blind man named Bartimaeus. And listen to what it says. It says, then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. And I'll just stop there for a second. Here's the rest of the story. Uh, Bartimaeus being blind, not being able to see Jesus, how large is the crowd, you say? Well, evidently so big that, that Bartimaeus knows that something's going on. I'm wondering if the ground is shaking, right? I'm wondering if he can hear all the little murmurs back and forth. Did you, he, did you see what he did with that guy's hand? Oh my gosh, did you see that lame person? They're starting to walk in. And he's here Hearing all the murmurs, and he's just catching up because he's blind, but he's listening. He's 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 hearing Jesus there, and Jesus, and Jesus, and Jesus, and now he's hearing the crowds. And so, Bartimaeus, the blind man—I don't know if you read scripture like this, but it shouldn't be dead for you. You got to think about it. So, the blind man sitting by the side of the road jumps up, and he tries to get the attention of Jesus, and he starts yelling, "Jesus, Jesus!" And the disciples are like, "Sit down, blind guy." But Bartimaeus refuses, and so he continues to cry out to the Lord because he believes that he can be healed. Now, in my mind, I think Bartimaeus, the blind guy, is now running after Jesus. And I don't know what a blind man running looks like, but I think it's dangerous. And he's running after Jesus, and he's shouting, Lord, Lord. And Jesus stops and says, yes, and he heals him, right? It was a large crowd. It was large enough that Bartimaeus could hear the grumblings and know that Jesus was coming. We looked at this one last week, Matthew 21. Matthew 21, right? The triumphal entry. What it says, it says a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the, the crowds went ahead of him and those that followed. So there's crowds in, in, in front and behind. And those that followed shouted, uh, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Large crowds. But I want you to know Jesus had other fans too. Think about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a great fan of Jesus' work. You remember Nicodemus came and sought him out, John chapter 3, at night under the cover of darkness and wanted to know about this thing called eternal life. The rich young ruler was a fan of Jesus' work and he came to him going, Hey teacher, tell me about this eternal life thing, right? He was a a big fan. The Bible actually says there were Pharisees and and, and teachers of the law that were fans of Jesus' work. And we think of them always as as enemies, but he had several fans. There were Pharisees even and teachers of the law. That thought the stuff that this guy teaches is amazing. John 6 tells us there were even many that identified themselves as disciples of Jesus that would later turn away from him. Jesus was familiar with the crowds, Jesus had a lot of fans. I want you to see that this morning. The second thing I want you to see is this, okay? Man, Jesus loved the fans. Jesus loved the fans. Now I'm not talking about in an idolizing way, like, "Hey, look at my posse. This is pretty awesome, right?" I'm not. he, He didn't have an ego about it. He didn't love them in that sense that they made him feel prideful. No, I mean he genuinely loved the people. I mean, that he genuinely loved and served the people time and time again. The Bible says that he had compassion on them, that he healed every disease, that he made time for those that, that, that were overcome with miseries, for those that were misunderstood, for those that the religious had labeled misfits or outcasts. G even, G, Jesus even said, listen, let those children come to me, right? His disciples thought he was too busy for children to come to him. We're in church, you know, it's Easter Sunday. Gosh, I wish we had children's church. And Jesus is like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Let the children come to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these meant. Jesus' love for the people even ran across gender and racial boundaries. He had compassion on the Samaritan woman who at the day would have been thought of as as worse than the dog of a dog. And yet he had compassion on her, even though she'd been married several times and was currently with a man that wasn't even her husband. The Bible says that Jesus had compassion on her. He genuinely loved people. All those that came to me genuinely love, but hear me, he didn't stop there. The Bible says that this is love, not 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 that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son. That's Jesus, by the way, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It says that God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ, that's Jesus, by the way, uh, died for us. You see, Jesus loved us so much that he stepped down into the midst of our sin and, and he took its penalty upon himself and he lived the perfect life that we could not. And he died the death that we deserve. But death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't keep him. He conquered them both that we might be free from their power as well and that friends is easter that's easter that's that's why we're here and that brings me our third point jesus always invited the fans to become followers jesus always invited the fans to become followers there are two words in the gospels that should haunt anyone that takes on the title of christian or christ follower There's two words that should haunt you individually and they should haunt us as a church collectively. And those two words are this. Ready? Follow me. Follow me. Because Jesus says those two words time and time and time again. He says them time and time and time again. He says them to individuals and he says them to crowds. I want you to see this. These these words are haunting. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples. Ready? Andrew and Peter and James and John. What did he say to the fishermen? He said, I say, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? He said the same thing to Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, who's who's cheating his Jewish brethren. Right. And that's what he's doing. And he he goes up to Matthew. Very simple. It's not a complicated sermon. He just looks at him and says, follow me. Just two words. Follow me. It it, it was the same thing. A a teacher of the law comes to him in Matthew eight and says, listen, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus basically says, fine, you want to follow me? That's good. But I have no place to rest my head. Still want to follow? Another guy says, I'll I'll go wherever you want to, but I've I've got to go bury my father. And Jesus says to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, listen, I want what you have. I want this eternal life thing. And Jesus says to the rich young ruler, first, you've got to get rid of all the things that have higher importance in your life than me. So I'm telling you, go sell the things that you love. And then he says to him, listen to the words, then come and follow me. Same words and his message was the same to the crowds, to the fans that he loved and showed compassion on. Look at what he says to the fans, large crowds. This is Luke 14. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he says, if anyone wants to come To me, it's it's like follow me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and get this and what follow me cannot be my disciple. Ends in verse 33, he says, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot Be my disciple. You see, for Jesus, there was a clear distinction between a fan and a follower, okay? And here's what it was. This is how it broke down. Ready? I know this is crazy. Followers actually follow Jesus. That's what he said. I mean, he just said, listen, if you want to come after me, that's fine. But really come after me. The rich young ruler says, I want what you have. And he says, that's fine. But you follow me. You couldn't follow Jesus in name only. You couldn't be a name only Christian. You actually had to follow Christ. Imagine that. And that's the distinction. Followers actually follow Jesus. Followers leave their lives behind. We'll talk about this in a second. But, but when Jesus says, follow me, every single person that followed, you know what they did? They left everything behind. The guys that were fishing for fish left their nets behind. The guy that's counting taxes left the taxes behind, right? They always left everything behind. And then this followers no longer cling to their lives or their loves. They just don't do it. You see, Easter isn't about a gospel of minimal entrance requirements into the kingdom of heaven. Can I say that again? Easter isn't about a gospel of minimal entrance requirements into the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Dallas Wilder. Jesus did not endure the agony of the cross and the weight of our sin and separation from his father. He did not die and conquer said death, appear and prove himself to be alive over a period of 40 days and ascend into heaven so that we could have and sell and share fire insurance. So that fans everywhere could pray a magic prayer, jump into a baptistry, get wet and live lives that are completely unchanged. That's not what Easter is about. It's effectual. It has to change you. There's got to be a massive difference. Easter, my friends, is about life and death. And you've got to see this next slide. It might be the most crucial one you see all day. Ready? Easter is about life and death. Easter is about Christ's death to provide you life and get this second part because you don't have life without it. It's about your death to self in order to receive that life. You see, we don't get Christ's life unless we die to ourselves, unless we follow him. Okay, it's kind of a it's kind of a big deal. They go hand in hand. James Montgomery Boyce puts it this way. He says the words follow me are not merely an invitation. They are an imperative command. Maybe you haven't thought of them that way, but they teach three things. Ready? Here. Here they go. The words follow me teach what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ. And it all begins with obedience. Why did these men drop their nets? Why did these men leave their tax booths? Why did these men suddenly get up and leave their family? Do you know why? Because they were obeying a command from Christ. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. He says, follow me. He says, stop following you and start following me. It's about obedience. And so it begins there. Secondly, when Jesus says, follow me, it's about repentance. It's an act of repentance. You are following your own life, your own way. By the way, the Bible says there's a there's a way that seems right unto a man. But in the end, it leads to death. And so you're following your way. And then Christ comes and says, no, you follow me. And so you stop following your life and you turn around and you start following his. That's called repentance. So when Jesus says follow me, he's talking about repentance. And finally, when Jesus says follow me, he's talking about submission. That he is the authority from now on in your life. And when he says jump, you jump. He says jump. You say how high? Yes, Lord, I'm on it. When he says go, you go. That's what follow me teaches. And, and, and that's that's why they had to leave their lives behind. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now this this next slide hurts a little bit, but I've spent um, several weeks studying. And I was looking for a way out. I was looking for somebody in all of Scripture that, that was a follower of Jesus, but they weren't really following him. Guess what? It's just not in the Bible. So I want you to see this. There's no such thing biblically as a follower of Christ that's not following Christ. There's no such thing as a follower of Christ that's not following Christ. 250 million people, man. We all believe in Jesus. We're all Christians in the United States of America. Evidently, 80% of us, 63 million only show up for church. It's a difference of you know, 187 million people. But so what? It's okay. We all prayed a magic prayer. We got wet. We're good. There's no such thing in the Bible as a follower of Christ that's not actually following Christ. It doesn't exist. If you're holding on to anything, then you're not actually totally His. If you are still holding on to anything, then you're not actually totally His. Fans love Jesus. They love his mercy, they love his grace, they love his compassion, they love his teaching. They are attracted to Jesus, but to become followers, they've got to go further. To be followers, they have to be willing to let go of everything else and follow him. And for you, maybe that's money, maybe that's family, maybe that's the love of sports, maybe that's lust or greed or gossip, your sexuality, your cynicism, your stubbornness, your pride. Regardless, the invitation is the same. Follow me. Leave you and follow me. It's the same invitation page after page of Scripture. It is the same invitation. Follow me, Jesus says. Leave you and follow me. Here's the last thing I'll share with you and we'll be done. Jesus knows and will reward his true followers. That's a great promise of Scripture. Jesus knows and he's going to reward his true followers. There's a passage in Matthew 7 that, um, to be honest, I think it should scare us uh, in a holy fearful, good way, uh, and, and, and I'll share it with you. Matthew seven twenty one. again, the distinction between a fan and a follower. And Jesus says this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, he saying, listen, listen, there's a difference between a fan and a follower. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Only the ones who follow me, right? He goes on, he says this. Uh, many will say to me um, on that day, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. John 10.10, 10, Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. He says, listen, I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. In John 10.4, he says this, the sheep follow the shepherd. They follow their shepherd. Over and over and over those words appear. That conversation with the rich young ruler really messed up the disciples. Uh, it messes me up. It ever mess you up? You read the rich young ruler and, and he, he says to the guy, I mean, this guy, he says, Lord, I've kept all your commands. He's like, I know scripture. I'm, I'm living it out. And, and, and Jesus says, no, I'm telling you, you still got stuff more important than me. You can't follow me until you go take care of that. That messes with me. And it should mess with us. Right. It messed with Peter to the point that Peter had to say, Jesus, I need some clarification. And so look at what Peter says. Right. Peter answered and he says, but, but, but Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? You know, God, for those of us that really have left everything, what's there gonna be? And this is what Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left, everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. Jesus says there's great reward for those that do follow me. Guys, that's what Easter should be about. For those that follow Jesus, there'll be great reward. I have one last thing for you, and it's just a matter of application. And uh, and this is it. Here's my hope and my prayer this morning is that hearing that, that you would want to heed the words of Christ. Uh, Jesus, time and time again, when he preaches, you know, he had this phrase he always said, right? What is it? He who has ears, let him hear. Friends, this morning, would you have ears? And would you hear? There's a massive difference between being a fan of the teachings of Christ and being a follower of Jesus Christ. There is a massive difference between fan and follower so here's our invitation this morning. I said this in the early service. And it's absolutely true. Some of you grew up in church, and I understand that. I didn't. This is going to be the most irreligious invitation we've ever offered, okay? There will be no cards. There will be no pens. I will not write down an ounce of your information. I don't want it. I, I, I'm not going to follow up with you. I'm not, this isn't about me. It's about you. This is about you, and it's about the Lord. And here's my prayer. On this Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we have a God who has conquered death and he's conquered the grave, but he didn't do so just so that we could be a fan of his work. He did so that we would really walk in his footsteps and we would experience the same newness of life, the same power over sin, the same power over death, right? That's what it means to be resurrected. And so what what I would hope for you, I don't know what to call this. Somebody said earlier, well, what is this? Is this like salvation? Is it rededication? There are no church words for what's about to happen, okay? Zero. Throw out the book. I don't care if my secretary wants names and wants categories or what the Baptist group wants. We're not worried about that stuff. This is about you and Jesus. And my question to you, I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40 years or for 40 minutes. I want to know, are you following Christ? It's not about whether or not you wear the t-shirt or you listen to the music or you call yourself a Christian. Because Jesus said to all of those people, that's fine. If you like me, that's glad. I'm happy for that. If you're attracted to me, that's great. But here's the deal. Now follow me. Leave you and follow me. You see, here's the great thing about our God. He loves us enough to meet us right where we are. And we're sinners, friends. He crawls down into the pit with us and he will meet us right there in our sin. But you hear me. If you think that he's just a loving God and he crawls down into your pit and he just camps out there with you and he's happy, then you only got half the gospel because he crawls down into your pit so that he can push you out of it so that he can take your place. He's not okay with our sin, my friends. He's not okay with us clinging to, to our desire for wealth, or our desire for fame, our desire for recognition. If you want to follow Him, you have to leave you. And I know that that's a tough gospel, but that is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's our invitation this morning. It's a very easy one. See, I believe with all my heart that God will meet us where we are, But he loves us too much to leave us there. He always calls us higher. He always calls us into a deeper relationship. And what he wants from you today. Easter 2014. Could this be the day. I don't know if you want to say you nailed it down. I don't know which. But whatever whatever it is. On that day I know that I became a follower. Of Jesus Christ. I was no longer okay. With sitting on the sidelines. And cheering on others. I became a follower of Jesus. Leaving me. And pursuing Him, that's what I'm doing today on this day. Whether you've been a Christian for 20 years or for 20 minutes. If that's you today, today you say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Right where you are, right now, would you stand up for me right now? I want to be a follower today. Today, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about, I'm I'm not a fan anymore. I'm just, I'm going to be a follower. Not because your friend's doing it, not because your neighbor's doing it. But I'm ready to follow. That is going to be me. Because here's what this is going to signify. It's, a, it's signifying this. Now, now hear me. This will be a struggle. Okay? Anybody that's ever struggled with sin, this is not going to be perfection every day. But every day we're going to say to Jesus, you know what? I die to me. I'm The best I can, Lord. I'm going to die to me. I'm going to die to my desires. And I'm going to be yours and just yours. I will be a follower of you. No more me. All you. So I want you to bow your heads and this be a time of prayer and commitment for you. And Alan is going to sing this song over you. And as you pray and you release that to the Lord, to be his follower, when you feel led, you can join us in singing. It's a beautiful song. God always calls us higher. God always calls us deeper. On this Easter, I pray that you're no longer a fan, but you've become a follower of Jesus Christ.